Hi, and welcome to HBR Now, the Harvard Business Review show where we talk about current developments and how they affect the world of business. I'm Adi Ignatius, Editor-in-Chief of Harvard Business Review, and I'm joined by my co-host, Octavia Gordima, who is a career coach and founder at 2010 Agency, and Josh Macht, who heads product and innovation at uh, Harvard Business Review. Our special guest in a moment uh, we'll bring in is Chuck Robbins, who is the CEO and chairman of Cisco Systems, the big networking company, that for the past two years has finished number one in Fortune's list of the world's best workplaces. We'll be talking about how business can get on track amid all of the challenges that 2020 has thrown our way. We invite you, if you're watching, to send in questions to Chuck in the comments box. We'll try to get to those later. But first, let's hear now from our sponsor, our friends at Accenture. Change is all around us, shaped by technology and human ingenuity. We can make it work for you and your business. Okay, so before we start, I want to talk a little bit about vaccines. We had more positive news yesterday. Uh, Moderna reported a 94.5% efficacy rate in its test. That follows Pfizer's similarly good results last week. Um, so real progress is being made. Um, it was nice to see that the heads of both companies, Albert Borla of Pfizer and Nubar Fayan of Moderna, had been guests on HBR Now. So whereas they used to talk about the curse of Sports Illustrated, that the magazine puts you on the cover and your fortunes would suddenly plummet, maybe possibly we can talk about the blessing of appearing on HBR Now. Something to think about. We also interviewed Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has somehow managed to keep his job despite repeated threats to fire him. But anyway, on the vaccine, despite the good news, there are a lot of questions and challenges still ahead. And Octavia, I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective on where we are. Yeah, I think these breakthroughs are incredible. It's just such inspiring news to hear, especially as we head into the holidays and especially as we're hitting what's like a third surge here in the United States. But this will be the biggest vaccination effort in US history. Just the administration alone for it is monumental. So I'm just really hoping we can be patient with the next steps because, you know, what the scientists are doing is incredible, but there's a long way still to go. What do you think, Josh? Well, I mean, I'm I'm excited about it, but aren't you guys also in, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm in the throes of trying to figure out the holidays and there ain't no vaccine in time for the holidays. I mean, and navigating family and and so many, you know, it's just, I find that that's like the latest thing. Is that not stressful for you guys? Yeah, I was listening to a woman, you know, some sort of epidemiologist or something on the radio yesterday who said, look, you know, the what we should tell people is just say no, don't do it, don't see your family uh, for Thanksgiving, say. But she conceded that, but that doesn't work. You know, we know people are going to do it, so we have to talk about how to how to mitigate the risk. And yeah, we're dealing with that right now, our family. I mean, we would love to get together next week. Uh, and if everybody gets tested beforehand, is that enough? I mean, I, I don't know. I, nobody has the answer, and I just think we're close in a vaccine. We're getting there, but it's this period where there's a lot of risk, and uh, it just seems like people can't let their guards down. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got I think you're right. It's about being patient and maybe just being thankful for how far we've come. And if we're still healthy at this moment and maybe 
fingers crossed this time next year we'll be in a different place yeah that's a nice message i like that all right we'll go with that yeah. um, all right so let me now formally introduce our guest as i said it's the chairman and ceo of cisco systems chuck robbins born in georgia the grandson of a rural preacher he's been at cisco for more than 20 years and ceo for the past five he's an outspoken proponent proponent of stakeholder capitalism and has said that executives like this uh, like himself can and must contribute to their communities for social good. So Chuck, welcome. Well, it's great to be here, Adi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you making the time. Um, so let's jump in at a high level. You know, this year has been a challenge, COVID, social unrest, a bonkers US election. What is it gonna take for American business to get back on track? Well, first I, I just wanted to uh, say that I'm hopeful that much like the the vaccine CEOs that there's something good coming for me after participating in your uh, podcast today. So <laughs> it's almost uh, guaranteed. Uh, it, it feels that way. It feels that way. I really, uh, I really hope that's the case. So look, I think that um, you guys are just talking about it. And I, I think the vaccines are clearly going to be a big part of it, but I think testing is, is also a huge part as well as therapeutics. And, you know, I could see a, a, a future where if you can get the, this, high efficacy 15 minute kind of testing, you could even get back to concerts and sporting events and those kinds of things. And so I think that um, most companies right now believe that the, the ends in sight, they don't know exactly when it is. And I think that most of them have said, look, if we're able to, it's not a time where we can sit on our hands, we have to begin to invest and continue to run our business. And that's, that's what we're seeing happening right now. So, all right, so when the dust settles, we will have a new administration in place. So, you know, from your perspective, what does the Biden administration need to do to shore up business confidence, you know, in a way that's consistent with its own mission and ideals? Well, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, I think just having the, uh, the, the election behind us is super important. Uh, we have, you know, the markets hate uncertainty, although this year we've had a lot of uncertainty and the markets have seemed to be okay. But uh, I think when you think about the Biden administration, a lot of the things, I think we're going to need stimulus to get to the vaccine. I think that's well documented. Everyone talks about it. I hope that they can get that done. Uh, we clearly need an infrastructure bill uh, in, this in the country. And I think in keeping with that, we need to be thinking about digital infrastructure because uh, much like every country, the pandemic has taught us that having technology in our infrastructure and having a robust, uh, intelligent infrastructure is key. I think that's very important. Uh, I think that, um, you know, if we do end up with a Republican Senate, then we probably don't have to worry too much about a reversal of the of the tax reform, which I think will be good for business. Uh, and um, and then you've got broadband that is clearly part of the Biden, uh, uh, you know, administration's plan, uh, not to mention continued focus on spectrum and 5G build out, et cetera. So I think all of those things are are part of how they're thinking about what they need to do. And, uh, you know, we look forward to working with them in whatever way makes sense to try to uh, help them be successful because the country needs it. Let me let me ask you about 5G. Um, you know, we'll talk later more about the workplace of the future. But, you know, 5G is key to sort of Cisco's future plans. And um, I guess I'd love to have a sense from you. How will 5G change my life? You know, how will it change our lives as consumers, as employees? I mean, what's what's the promise in your mind? Well, if you just think back uh, just over a decade ago when, when the smartphone came out and the iPhone came out, 4G came out, we didn't know how it was going to change our life when it first came out or when the technologies were first introduced. And I think uh, to some extent we don't know yet, uh, but just think about what's happened in the last decade uh, since the advent of that phone and how 
everything has changed about how we communicate, how we operate, uh, and what we do as humans, uh, some good, some bad, probably. Uh, but what 5G really is, is it's a it's an incredibly high performance, low latency, and low latency is a really important part of this, which means we could we could run this video connection over and and the you know the the communication back and forth between us would be very low latency so that it would actually be effective. Uh, in a perfect world, we figure out how to 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 have 5G deliver high-speed broadband into rural areas, areas where those people don't have access to high-speed connectivity, because if we think about one of the fundamental needs in this country right now is to really create an inclusive future for everybody. And I think that, um, you know, getting connectivity there, being able to deliver education, deliver healthcare, deliver other services, I think is one of the key things that we need to enable. So that's another possible benefit of it, uh, but uh, it, it will be revolutionary. And I think it's gonna be great to just watch the innovation that occurs as we get this built out. So if you just tuned in, tuned in this is HPR Now. Uh, our guest is Chuck Robbins, the CEO of Cisco. If you have a question for him, please put it into the comments box. Um, Chuck, you know, you, you're a CEO who talks a lot about responsibility to stakeholders beyond just shareholders. You talk about long-term thinking, but, you know, then you, there you are every quarter giving quarterly guidance and, you know, subject to the whims of an investor base that can sometimes have a pretty short-term perspective. How do you balance that? And, and do you wish the system were, worked differently? Well, it is complicated, that is for sure. And, um, but I think that, uh, look, we're, we're in these jobs and they're complicated jobs and uh, we, we have to figure that out. I do think that they're not disconnected. I think there are times when you have to focus on one stakeholder perhaps more than the others and, and it's going to wane. It's rare that you're, you're giving equal attention to all at any given time. If you're, I've told the people on our side of our company, we have, we have employees who have incredible hearts and passion for giving back in their communities. And, uh, and as do I, and as does our leadership team. And what I've told them is in order to do the thing you love, which is giving back and, and contributing to society, we have to run a great business because we're not running a great business. It makes it more difficult to do that. So I think they're all connected and our desire to be active in our communities is it's more difficult if our business is not performing well. So I think they're all interconnected and you can find a way to actually, um, to, to, communicate to each of the stakeholders why a focus on the other stakeholders is good for all of them. And I think that's pretty clear to most people at this point. And so uh, it's complicated, but it's not impossible. Yep. So not to get hung up on share price, but your share price is solidly up since you announced earnings last week. But I think it's actually down for the year, even though, you know, your technology WebEx is helping to drive the work from home economy. You know, Zoom has taken some of that market share. So I guess my question is, would you do anything differently competitively if you could reset back to, let's say, March of this year? Well, if I had known we were going to enter a pandemic, uh, <laughs> it, uh, you know, look, I think that um, the, the great news is the market expanded for all of us. Uh, so that is that's good news. We've we've learned as a society that we can, uh, while we may not want to, we can actually have some level of productivity over this technology. And I think that as I look at what we do, you know, the focus for us is around enterprise grade security, privacy, because organizations. There's one thing to be having a, a casual you know, cocktail discussion with family members and friends, there's another to be operating your entire business over a platform. 
you that where you're sharing intellectual property, you're talking about new products, new capabilities, new services, competitive differentiation. And so the need for it to be secure and ensure the privacy of those conversations is super important. And that's what we focused on. We built it that way from the ground up. And uh, when you look around the world, we have governments all around the world that are actually using WebEx to, to legislate right now. And uh, we actually formalized a product called WebEx Legislate. So I think that, uh, look, it's, it's been this year, this has been a year where we need everybody's platforms to work because the world needs them to work. And I think over the next few years, some of these uh, more important issues will become more critical to, uh, to the buyers. Well, full full disclosure, Harvard Business Review is a we're a WebEx company. So I, I didn't know that. I'm glad to hear. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's. I want to bring back Josh and Octavia though to uh, to uh, ask some questions as well. So Chuck, I'm curious. With so much equipment in uh, buildings all over the world, commercial real estate all over the world, what's your or Cisco's take on what's going to happen with commercial real estate going forward? I'm, I mean, are we? You know, I mean, so many companies, we now are in some distributed world. So what's the outlook? It's going to be, every building is going to be empty forever, Josh. <laughs> it feels that way some days. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. We go through these waves of, it, with, any, with any issue almost, it's like we go through these waves of extremities and then we come back to sort of the middle. And uh, it's... Um, so I think, you know, if you go back six months ago, there was a lot of discussion around whether anybody would go back because this is great. We're all productive. We're working from home. It's fantastic. And then all of a sudden, mental health stress, you know, began to creep in and people started getting exhausted. People were working long hours. And then you started hearing people talk about, I can't wait to get back to the office. And so I think the reality is we're going to end up in a hybrid world. And I mean, everybody's sort of landing there where many of our employees will work from home two or three days a week, be in the office two or three days a week. And what we have to figure out is, what does that office configuration look like uh, in the new world? Do I do I need to over the long term? Do I do I need to preserve for social distancing? Are our employees going to be open to shared spaces like we had moved to over the last, you know, five to ten years, or are they going to want their own space because they're worried about the next pandemic? And so I, I think it's a little bit unknown, but I don't believe that uh, based on the discussions I have with my peers. That, mo that most companies are going to move to complete work from home. I think you're hearing some of that now, but um, what, I, what I do hear is that the small offices, the small branch offices, to the extent that you can get rid of them or move into shared space more cost-effectively, that's something that most of our customers are talking about. But, um, but in general, I think we're gonna go back to a hybrid environment and uh, I think commercial real estate is gonna be just fine. The, um, you know, you talked about 5G earlier with Audi, and I'm, I'm curious on the social media side, which so much of your equipment enables, what's your, uh, you know, how do you look at the downsides that we're dealing with and what remedies uh, either government or government and business should be bringing together for, you know, to at least like, there's a lot of good too, but uh, clearly there's a lot of downsides. And, and I'm, I'm curious how you think about it and Cisco's role in all that. Well, we don't, we don't have a huge role in a, other than providing underlying infrastructure to, you know, to support it. But I do think that many of the CEOs of these companies have stated that they do believe that there's regulation needed. If you, if you look at technology in general, I think that what we do and what all of these companies do, all tech companies do, is we, we have created the digital backbone for the future and for the economy. 
And so much like we regulate energy, we regulate financial systems, I think there has to be some level of regulation. Now, what I, I feel really badly for the regulators because technology is moving so fast, it's so complex, it's so hard to understand, the, the, the ability to actually come together and actually regulate it is very difficult. And so that's the challenge that I think we have to figure out together is how, how could we work together to identify the right regulation across not only the social platforms, but data privacy. I'm hopeful that on a global basis, that post-election we come together and we figure out how can we drive data security standards and data privacy standards and cross-border data flow standards on a global basis so that we don't get into this fragmented world where I think we lose a lot of the benefit of the technology that's been built. Um, I'd like to pick up on that thread, Chuck, and you referenced Cisco's emphasis on security. Um, yesterday, Twitter announced the hire of a famed hacker as their new head of security. And I was curious, what are some of the cybersecurity threats that keep CEOs up at night right now? And what are some of the approaches that Cisco uh -oh. and others are taking to keep us safe? You know, I'd say that the good news is if you go back a decade, most CEOs didn't want to have the cybersecurity discussion because that actually created <clears throat> compelled liability on, on their part. Now I think it's, we've come full circle and it's a boardroom topic every at every board meeting. So there, there are threats everywhere. The threat surface is just increasing every day. Uh, it, it's you know it's, get, it's getting much more complicated because enterprises used to be sort of fixed physical things and you would protect the, the outskirts, the perimeter, and that isn't the case anymore. Now we have mobile workers and particularly now we have people working from home, working from coffee shops, maybe not coffee shops so much today, but they will be working from airports, et cetera. And you have, uh, we're continuing to connect more and more devices and the internet of things. And so it's, it's actually expanding the threat surface and making it much more difficult for companies to to actually protect. So what what companies have come to grips with uh, is that they are going to have infiltration. It's going to happen. And so the old plan used to be, how do I defend myself and build a perimeter? The new plan is, how do I defend myself, but then how do I identify when they get in and how do I remediate quickly? And it's it's really refreshing to see because there's a there's a complete comprehensive plan now for how to deal with these threats and how to deal with these attacks that that's more based on reality of what's really going on in the marketplace. I would say right now what we see happening, ransomware is is just everywhere. And uh, ironically, these hackers have begun to go to like small payments because they know people are more likely to pay. It's like if if I if I get in and I've got you held hostage and I ask you for $5,000, are you going to take a moral stand? Are you going to pay me five grand so you can get your business back up and running? And so we see a lot of ransomware right now uh, and, uh, and obviously other threats as well. Great. Thank you. And I'd love to segue now to some of the questions that we have from our audience. So for starting with Nancy Diaz from Los Angeles, um, she's asked, what is Cisco doing to help address the tech divide? Yeah, it's, uh, we actually, last year, uh, my team and I worked on redefining the purpose of our corporation for years and years and years. We had a purpose that basically said, we want to change the way the world lives, works, learns, and plays. And that was, that was our purpose for years. And we changed it, ironically, before 2020, to powering an inclusive future for all. And as we think about what our technology does, is it fundamentally connects people and things together 
and enables communication. And we do a lot more than that, but that's what the core sort of traditional part of our business. And when you, when you contemplate connecting people in rural areas or in villages in emerging countries, you can then actually give them opportunity that they didn't have before. And so the way we think about it, we have uh, both the technology that, that enables connectivity, but we also have a corporate social responsibility strategy that does more beyond that. So we have a program called Cisco Network Academies. And in the last 12 months, I think we had 3 million students on a global basis go through that program. So I, th I think that that combined with helping countries deliver healthcare and education into rural areas, uh, there's stories of, uh, of a, a woman in a village in India who got broadband access for the first time. And she, she was, you know, currently selling goods that she would make to local people. And all of a sudden she had this global marketplace that was opened up to her. I mean, that's the kind of thing that changes people's lives. And as I think about what the pandemic has taught us is that you can work from anywhere and more and more companies have come to realize that I can hire people anywhere. So now I can hire people. I don't have to just say you must be in Silicon Valley or you must be in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I think we should come together and a combination of education through all of these programs. We have network academies, a lot of the other technology companies have them. We can take these into these rural areas that feel like they've been left behind because they have been left behind. And then we can actually have hiring programs and set up you know, um, operations in some of these areas to give people more of, a, uh, of an opportunity. And I think those are the kinds of things that we are gonna take public-private partnerships, but I, I do believe those are the kinds of things that we should do and, and I think we can do. And it, it, it's a bit of a silver lining from the tragedy that we've had this year is a realization that it will work. Yeah, I, I wanna pick up on that theme of connectivity. We have a question here from Petra Zakrisen in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, the question is connectivity is one thing, but how do you create the same engagement as you would do virtually? How do you transmit culture? And which tools serve this purpose best? And maybe Chuck, you could talk to how you've addressed this at Cisco in terms of maintaining connectivity with your teams. It is, it is the best question. I, I, um, uh, we're, we're working hard right now because we know when our customers come back to the office, they are going to put high definition video units in every conference room because every meeting is going to be hybrid. And you're going to have remote attendees and you're going to have in-room attendees. And so part of our strategy right now and a lot of the hard work the team is doing is how do we evolve and add capabilities to our technology that create the same experience regardless of, of where you are. And so there's a lot of work going into that. But I think that, uh, Petra, the, the thing that is more important than the technology uh, is, are the people. And I think that the only way this is going to work is if people maintain this recognition that we've had over the last nine months that everyone is remote and we're, we're much more informal, we're much more empathetic, we're much more uh, you know, engaging, we're, trying, we're, we're actually going overboard to make sure that we include people in discussions because everyone's virtual. So I, I think those are the things we need to maintain. I think it's less of a technology issue, even though we'll do the things that we can to help promote it. But it really is just making sure that the compassion and the empathy that we're showing for everybody working in their environment and you're pulling people into these discussions. And some of that you can actually drive through technology. Like you, you could set a feature in, in a future meeting where if you have eight people in the meeting, you could actually set a feature where no one can speak for a second time until all eight people have spoken for the first time. I mean, you know, those kinds of things. But it's a little 
you know, it's probably a little less effective than just actually doing it human way. Hmm. Yeah. Seems like they could have probably used something like that at the presidential debates. The, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> nobody can speak again. How about that? I'm curious, though, are you on the diversity and inclusion front? Are you making the strides at, as quickly as you want to be within Cisco? Well, the answer to that is no, uh, not as fast as we want to be. But I will tell you, we've made a lot of progress on the gender front. Uh, I close to, close to half of my direct reports are female. And these are, you know, th these are ladies that run big parts of our business. And it took us a long time to actually make that progress. And uh, and the good news is we had begun the work on ethnicity before 2020. So uh, last fall, we actually decided that we, we with the help of our chief uh, inclusion and collaboration leader, she... Uh, she wanted to talk to us about the the experience of being african-american or black inside of cisco and they they do these this thing called a fishbowl exercise and we actually i had 18 of our black leaders that are respected in the company that came to my house and my entire leadership team sat around them and they sat in an inner circle and there was a moderated discussion about what it's like to be a black employee at cisco and it was eye-opening. And there were a lot of good things, but there were a lot of things you just you couldn't under you wouldn't understand if you weren't sitting there hearing it from them. And certainly because we didn't experience it, and and that set us on a, a hundred-day sprint uh, to actually try to resolve some of these issues and frankly amplify some of the things that they thought were were great things about the company. And um, you know we had been doing pay parity, and and one of the things that they that we needed to implement was promotion parity. So we've implemented that. So we got a little bit of a head start ahead of the social justice uh, crisis that we saw this year. And um, so we're, we're making progress, but we still have a long way to go. But we, we're looking at full spectrum diversity and uh, we now have quarterly sessions with my leadership team and the leaders of every one of our employee resource groups. And we talk for 90 minutes about what's going well, what's not going well, what do they need from us? And uh, they're very meaningful because they believe that we're going to listen and we're actually going to respond to what they need. And, and, you know, if you if you don't, then they're wasting their time and, and yours as well. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. And um, I want to go back to a few more of our audience questions just while we have time. We have Patrick from Toronto who's asking, how does leadership style impact employee engagement, especially right now? Uh, it's, it's huge. Um, I... Uh, Look, this has proven out that uh, people want, they want to work for human beings, first of all. They don't want to work for executives. I think that's the big thing. And, and, and the pandemic has highlighted that, that, you know, they're, they're in our homes, employee, we're doing employee sessions in our homes. So just when, when this thing started, we, we began doing what we call a check-in every week with our employees. And we brought 30,000, 40,000 people together over video every week. And um, early, and and we're just being straight. We're being, we're we're trying to be authentic. We're we're communicating frequently. We would do like 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of content, and then we'd have 45 minutes of just open Q and A with our employees. And early on, you can imagine it was all about, you know, the, the the emerging pandemic, and we had doctors on, and they answered questions. And then we'd gone through phases, and certainly we 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 tackled the social justice issues along the way as well. But I, I think it's about authenticity is probably the most important thing that people are looking for in their leaders. And, um, you know, I, I used to joke, I joked about my, 
my father who would, would sort of get up and I, I always, I said he would become work dad and then he would come home and he'd become home dad again. And that's just, that's just not the way it operates anymore. We're, we're just the same people and people want to work for people they respect and that they understand and that they know. And I think that that's, again, hopefully one of the silver linings that come out of this tragedy is that uh, we won't go back again, that we'll maintain that human empathetic approach as leaders. Let me ask you uh, about China. Um, doing business with China, of course, is a big challenge for U.S. companies for political and, and commercial reasons. I know Cisco has been caught up in the trade war itself. W what is your advice for multinational companies who want to succeed in China? What's your advice given the current climate? Well, I think the um, first of all, for us, I think it's uh, we've been there for 30 plus years and, and, and we have things come and go. We had the Snowden situation that we had to navigate and then we had you know, and, and now we're having this. And I, I firmly believe that we'll get to the other side of it and we'll figure we'll figure out a way for the countries, even with the differences for them to, for us to move forward somehow, uh, you know, in a constructive way, because the global economy needs us to do that. Uh, but for, for us in China, I think, you know, I was actually asked to speak at the China Development Forum last week, which was a, a great opportunity. And what I would say is, if you want to do business in China, you need to understand what's important in China. And you need to, un and this is true of every country. We, we go in, we have a program called Country Digital Acceleration, and we go into every country and we meet with a head of state. And we, we basically align our investment strategy in a country around <clears throat> the priorities of the leader. And whether it's healthcare, education, smart cities, uh, whatever those are, that's that's how we do it. And, and, and you know, we we drive our education network academies program around that. We've taken it into prisons in certain countries. And um, so I think China is no different. You have to understand their culture. You have to know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Uh, and again, that's true of every country. Uh, and I think just uh, just spend time to understand what what they would like to see from you and what you're trying to accomplish. And then, you know, execute at the intersection where it makes sense. Yeah, All right, Octavia, back to you in the audience. <laughs> Great. So we'll take one more question. Um, Ludovic from Luxembourg says, does Cisco see a possibility of leveraging virtual reality in the future of virtual meetings? We do. Uh, yeah, there's there's virtual reality, there's augmented reality, and I think that uh, all of that will be a part of this technology going forward. There's a lot of great work already going on. We're doing some, we have some great stuff in some some of our uh, engineering labs in San Jose that I'd be in trouble if I talked about. But uh, you know, you you could see augmented reality as an example in in IoT applications around, and it's one that we've shown a few times around. Uh, maintenance applications for manufacturing equipment and, and you know, leveraging augmented reality to have uh, a remote expert actually seeing through your eyes of what's going on and then helping you actually manipulate and, and change the uh, uh, or affect the equipment uh, in, that's having the trouble. So we do see a lot of that coming. We see three-dimensional coming. There's, there's a lot of great stuff that's going to be uh, part of our future. Fantastic. And we have another question. Um, this one's from Daniel Bolger. He says, Chuck mentioned the products available for government and legislative support. Is there anything in the pipeline to help countries or nonprofits with humanitarian crises and peaceful conflict re resolution? Well, uh, what I would say is that we, we spent a lot of time uh, going into areas of crisis and actually bringing technology to help 
the those who are responding to the crisis actually execute their mission. So as an example, we have um, we went into the refugee camps in Germany and we provided, you know, Wi-Fi and video units to, to connect those refugees with both translation and, and uh, language services as well as healthcare services over video. And we connected them with experts. Uh, we actually took our, our network academy program in and we committed to training thousands of those refugees who had the the capabilities to move into technology. So we, we come in with both our technology and, uh, and our corporate social responsibility uh, and actually try to help in those times of crisis. And we also have a group that, you know, with a hurricane or typhoon or whatever it is, typically, uh, believe it or not, we have teams of people that are usually first on the ground because if you think about the first responders in a, in a Caribbean island like Puerto Rico when they had the hurricane, the first thing you have to do is reestablish communications or the first responders can't actually operate. So we tend to have people on the ground very early in times of crisis uh, and uh, teams of people that are trained to do that. So we, we try to do our part for sure. So Chuck, I've got one more question, which is, you know, I mean, as you talk, it's obvious that there are um, things that go beyond just running a company that are are among your passions. And, you know, we're asking CEOs increasingly to be activists to solve social problems. How do you decide what's appropriate for you to jump in on and, and what do you stay out of? That's a great question. Um, and we, we've talked about this with our employees because, you know, there are issues that are simply bipartisan beliefs. And in that case, we just tell them we're, we're not as a company, unless, unless there's a, an impact on our business, we will, we will not take a position on that. That's just stuff that you, you all, you know, you're going to believe a certain thing because of your background. You're going to believe a certain thing. And what we encourage them to do is, you know, we all speak about the value of diversity until someone completely disagrees with me on some political issue. And so we say, look, find someone who disagrees with you, have lunch and understand how they got to their position. I guarantee it's all based on all the things that we say we value about diversity. It's the experiences, it's how they were raised, where they were raised. And so that's the first piece we try to do. The second is if it's a, if it's an issue, uh, legislative issue or whatever it might be that is, is impactful to our business, then we will typically take a position like uh, tax reform is a, is a good example of that one. And then there are those issues that we just view as being binary moral issues that we, we, won't, uh, you know, we won't walk away from. And those are issues of social justice and racism. And those are just those are just principles of our company. And I tell our employees, actually, if you disagree with these core beliefs, then we're probably not the place for you to work. And uh, so, you know, that's sort of the process we go through. And uh, we, we have a framework that we run these issues through, but they tend to they tend to identify into one of those categories pretty quickly. Yeah, that's a, actually that's a really good way to 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 put that. Anyway, we are out of time, but I want to thank you, Chuck Robbins, CEO of Cisco, for being our guest today. Uh, it was really a, a great conversation. Thank you, guys. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank All right, you. and I want to uh, thank our friends at Accenture for uh, for sponsoring the show. There's no show next week as it is Thanksgiving week in the U.S., but we will be back on Tuesday, December first with our guest, Dan Schulman, who is the president and CEO of PayPal. So that is it from me and from Josh and from Octavia. And that is it this week from HBR Now.
Hey, back. it's the coolest after party in town. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad to be invited to the after party. I usually don't get invited to after parties. <laughs> <laughs> My team normally won't let me go to after parties. <laughs> well, that's probably smart. That was great, Chuck. That was that was excellent. Thank yeah, you. For, really uh, good. Really being good. Being on a lot of these issues. That was good. We didn't it's get to the. We didn't get. We we didn't get to the uh, great TikTok debate. I was curious if you uh, what you thought of all that. You know what? I think uh, that that's one that uh, I'm I'm hopeful that the people that are making those decisions have some some factor leading them to whatever the conclusions they come to. I think that's the most important thing. But I mean, I I think anytime there's the fundamental question of whether anybody's technology is being leveraged by their governments, whether I, and I'm not talking about China, I'm talking about any any country. Right. We have the same when we go outside the United States, we have to convince them that we're not right. So I think that's mm-hmm. it's the burden of proof that I think we have to uh, have to think about. Yeah. So. so how did you how did you finish number one two years in a row in Fortune's list of the best workplaces? <laughs> I have a great chief people officer. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I honestly think it's a combination of we're, we're just we're having fun as a company and the employees feel connected to us. They they've actually said this year that, that they said we're physically further apart than we've ever been, but we feel closer than we ever have been. Wow. And it's um, it's it, and it's just a byproduct of just being straight with them, being honest, being open, talk about the issues. And, you know, you just have to be human and and this is um it's uh and i think that's the big thing we 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 communicate frequently honestly authentically i've told i've told our employees if it doesn't put me in jail or put the company at risk i will answer any question you ask and i I don't like that trying until they send you to jail (laughs) and then the the corporate social responsibility stuff we have really amplified and i think that was uh that's just been, that's sort of how I was raised. So it's just been a, a very natural thing for me. And it's been an important thing for me. And yeah, I think every CEO, when you grow up in a, in a rural area of Georgia, like I did, and you find yourself fortunate enough to be running a Silicon Valley icon, you have a moment where you step back and say, why, how did, how did this happen and why? And, you know, for me, it just it said, look, I, I, I know I have to run the company, but there's a bigger reason I got this, this job. And I think it is to balance the, the societal impact and and running the company as well, and I think that's just that's just how I think about it, and I think that's that's my responsibility. So, so Chuck, I have a question. I'm originally from England, and I saw that Webex helped the Queen get online <laughs> earlier this year. Were you, were you actually on that web? <laughs> I was not actually on that Webex. I was not. We've done, we've had people get married over Webex. We have had. Uh, We've done a lot of, uh, you know, most of the government, secure government communications, when they want when they want to communicate, they use WebEx because they trust us. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think, again, I think after the pandemic, I think some of these issues will probably in the in the moment of just give me something that I can communicate with easily, uh, you know, different decisions get made. But I think over time, I think you step back and look at the criteria for what, you know, what the solutions are and, uh you know, we'll be we'll be good. We we got a lot planned for this platform. The feature velocity right now is pretty impressive. We uh, we bought a company called uh, Babel Labs, and they do noise cancellation. And so, you know, the biggest thing with these platforms that we've all had over the last you know nine months is like, could you please go on mute? Could you go on mute, please? Could you go on mute, please? And we can um, use that. Yeah, and I'll, <laughs> right now, Dave. Oh, ooh. <laughs> 
Oh. I was literally, uh, we, just, we bought this company, uh, like 40 PhDs built this incredible technology. We rolled it out within 30 days of having it. We integrated into WebEx and we rolled it out uh, in the last release. And I was literally on a call with my chief people officer this morning and someone was using the central vacuum in our house. And it's, it, you can hear it through the walls because it's really oh, yeah. loud. And in fact, they have made comments to me before, like, what's that noise? And I, <laughs> so this morning I hear this thing and no one is saying anything. And I'm like, do you not hear this? Wow. And they're like, no, we don't hear anything. So dogs barking, vacuuming, leaf blowers, all that stuff gets filtered out. So there's a whole lot of great technology that we're rolling out on the platforms. And, uh, you know, we're pretty excited. Something to be said about the intimacy of these these video platforms. I we Last week, we celebrated my father's 100th birthday. Oh, good. And we had, you know, yeah, it was cool. And we had tons of people online. And, and you know, mm. I, if, if we had thought it was sort of heartbreaking not to have everybody physically in a room. But... You know, my brother observed, I think he's right, that in some ways it was more intimate, more personal. Everybody had their chance to kind of speak and connect, and it, it worked both ways. In, I, I, I hate to say it, it was almost better virtually than it would have been live. It's a strange world order. Well, I'm curious, though. Like, you know, we're all focused on different things than we thought we would be. Well, at least I am in 2020. I mean, how much – because you have a lot of products. So how much time were you – really thinking about each day webex before the pandemic hit not as much as i am now uh, <laughs> for, uh, yeah, yeah. i mean there were there were people you know year a half year and a half ago people say why are you even in that business what is it i mean what, you know and yeah. uh, they're not saying that so it's uh, uh, but it's still a small percentage of our overall business so right uh, right, uh, right. Hey, hey julie i'm sure you've got a question what do you got um well I guess I was wondering about, uh, you know, sort of anecdotally, what has been your best experience on WebEx this year? I know you mentioned you weren't on the call with Her Majesty the Queen, but have there been any WebEx video calls that really stood out for you as like the moment that you'll maybe think back and go, you know what, that was a really great, a really fun WebEx call, sort of as Audie was saying, maybe you got to interact with some people you wouldn't normally get a chance to, to communicate with. So what would be your top moment? Well, I... Um... I early, I'll tell you, early in the uh, pandemic, we were trying to lighten things up and have some fun with our employees. And so I sort of, I have a network of friends that are in the music industry and, or, or in sports. And so we started bringing, I started like bringing on a special guest every week or every other week. And, uh, and so having those guys on, I had like uh, Charles Kelly, who's the lead male vocalist from Lady A uh, is a good friend. So he came on, he actually sang a song. Chris Martin from Coldplay is a friend. He came on and sang. He's cool. sang a song for my team. Uh, we had Audie, your meetings like so suck compared to this. We had <laughs> the actor on. Uh, 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 he was he was Robin in Batman and Robin. Chris is a friend, oh, yeah. and he's on. Uh, what's the show? I, I should know. He'll kill me for not knowing the name of it. But uh, <laughs> but just um, I had Peyton Manning on one week. You know. Uh, oh wow. And, Wow. You know, pretty good. These guys are all, awesome. and they, they always I can only get Eli. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Eli's hilarious. I'll, I'll uh, I, I got a funny story for offline sometime. I can tell you about that one. But uh, Chris is on <laughs> that's NCIS, the post post show. NCIS LA. That's the show. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. He's uh, a he's a local boy. Yeah. 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 So we 
think and just, you know, spending time with the teams. I mean, our teams, every, it's been really, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it's been stressful, but it, it's one of those things we look forward to and we laugh and the, we have every one of my leaders on these calls and, and people are like the chat window, much like you had today, the chat window is just going and, you know, everybody's like, Hey, look at that's a new background. You notice I don't give them anything to talk about, but um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, uh, the chat windows are incredible. It's like, Hey, everybody thinks I've lost weight. I'm like, well, I don't know where they got that from, but they're like, chat window, like Chuck's lost weight. You know what? Um, and, uh, I think so so that's what you say to the boss. Yeah. 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 At, they have they wouldn't even think that I'm like monitoring the chat window, but I am. <laughs> so, hey guys, I got the boss. Gotta, yeah, you're you're. you're all right, yeah, over. we gotta let you go, Chuck Robinson. Thanks so much. Thanks hey, everybody. Bye guys. See you later.